0: we am going to sing one more song. It's just a prayer asking the Lord to speak to us. And as we sing this, I, it's a corporate prayer. And the words of the song is saying, Lord, speak to us. But I ask you to think about it this morning. Ask the Lord, when, when we hear the teaching of God's word, ask the Lord to speak to you, not to the person sitting next to you or behind you or the person that needs to be here this morning. But ask God to speak directly to your heart and right where you're at. And God will be faithful. It says in Hebrews that the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and dividing the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow. And so I just ask you, you make that your prayer this morning. To our lives and the doers of it, as we hear it. Thank you, Jesus.
1: We're finishing. The Beatitudes this morning. The finality, the crescendo. As Christ shares what it looks like to be a mature believer in Christ. We listen with anticipation as Christ tells us the final Beatitude. And we may be thinking, what profound truths will Christ leave us with? Some of you may be hoping that Christ will end on a positive note while others of you may be thinking that he hopes that he ends with something practical, something that we can work on, while still others want something challenging. But Christ, in his infinite wisdom, says something altogether different. And if you remember up to this point, the Beatitudes have been building on one another. And they have revealed what a mature Christian truly looks like. But this last beatitude looks at how others will treat one who is growing in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 5.10. Matthew 5.10 is where we will be this morning. Where we will unleash the final beatitude in our sermon series. And this is Jesus, and he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you may be thinking, I am so glad I don't have to face persecution. I mean, we live in the good old United States where we don't have to face struggles like that. But the problem is, we see here that Jesus is equating all of his followers to going through persecution but we may have a skewed perspective of christianity in the united states which brings me to my first point point number one point number one says counterfeit christianity rules in america Point number one says counterfeit Christianity rules in America. As American Christianity thinks more like Joel Osteen who says, it's God's will for you to live in prosperity instead of poverty. God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us. So American theology says, I follow Christ and he blesses me. It's an investment you can't lose on. God's blessings are equated to wealth, health, and happiness. The gospel is now a product to be sold. As many churches have gospel presentations centered on how Christ will help your life. Christ will give you a new car. Christ will give you a bigger house if the house you have is not big enough. And yes, a new spouse if the one you have you're not satisfied with. The false gospel puts man at the center of all things instead of God. Man wants power. Man wants prestige. Man wants riches. Man wants accolades. And man wants to be light. So Satan, in his wisdom, twists the gospel, twists Christianity to feed on what we naturally desire in the flesh. The false gospel puts my wants at the center of all things instead of Christ. Christ, can you give me more purpose, please? Or Jesus, can you give me more power and influence? Or Christ, can I have more money and riches? Or Jesus, can you fulfill all my dreams and desires so I can have my best life now? And a lot of these topics I just went through, if you think of the books that have been popular, those are most of the topics. And this type of teaching are false, ungodly, and satanic. God is not our dog, we call, nor is he a servant to do our bidding. God is holy, righteous, he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, eternal, loving, perfect in all his ways, and God is God, and there is no one like him, church. He deserves every breath that we breathe, every ounce of energy that we use, every thought that we think, and every word that we speak to his glory and honor, regardless of what happens to us. False Christianity tries to feed self, while biblical Christianity says we'll have to die to self. Does the Christianity... We follow this morning. Say that we will suffer and be persecuted for living for Christ. God's word says yes. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what does the word all refer to here in this passage? Sometimes passages can be tricky to translate. But the word all here actually means all. Everyone who lives for Christ, it says, will go through some sort of persecution. Counterfeit Christianity has no mention of persecution because it is false. It is ungodly. It does not follow plain scripture. So the question I would ask is why are followers of Christ persecuted? I mean, I thought we were called to love people, live quiet lives, share with others, and help others. Why in the world would nice folks like Casey and Amanda, Fred, Luke, Go through persecution. But before we answer why we are persecuted, we need to remember our past before Christ opened our eyes. And this leads me to my second point, point number two. We need to remember our ungodly heritage. Point number two says we need to remember our ungodly heritage. So turn with me to Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. In Casey, if you're out there, if my voice goes out, you just have to come in and fill in the rest of the sermon if I can't finish here. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I'm going off topic here, but it's funny. I've had tea, coffee, cough syrup, cough drops, I'm just like spinning right now, so so forgive me if I if I fall down or something. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul says this is who we used to be before we knew Christ. And he tells the church at Ephesus, this is who you used to be before you turned to Christ. Verse 1, Paul says that you and I were dead because of our sinfulness. Verse 2 goes on to say that we followed the ways of the world, the prince of the power of the air. Who is The prince, the power of the air. Satan, right? Paul is saying that our leader, our past king, our past spiritual father was none other than Satan himself. He fulfilled us. He guided us. He watched us. He knew us better than we knew ourselves. And verse 3 goes on to say that Satan worked outside of us while our sinful nature or the flesh worked inside of us. And Paul goes on and says that we were, by nature, children of wrath. Whose wrath were we under? Well, if we were children of Satan, controlled by our sinful nature, following the passions of this world, we were under God's wrath. Like the rest of mankind, we are going to face the wrath of God. This is who we were before God rescued us, before he saved us. Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, reminds the church at Ephesus, remember, he's talking to Christians here, and he reminds them of who they were. We have to remember who we were, church. But then he goes on and gives the good news of what Christ has done for them. Let's go on to verse 4 through 7 here. And it starts out, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness Towards us in Christ Jesus. So, in the midst of our rebellion, God loved us while we were His enemies, and He made us alive in Christ anyway. In the midst of our rebellion, it says, "God saved us through His grace." As we turn to Him in faith and repentance, we are instantly—we go from citizens of this world to citizens of heaven. Instantly, we go from being a citizen—wait, uh, uh, being being part of this world to being this world being a foreign land. Instantly, we go from being a part of the world's team to being a part of God's team. Instantly, we go from being a part of the world's army to God's army. Instantly, we go from being children of Satan to children of God. Amen. Why are followers of Christ persecuted? Well, we have become the enemy. We have become a traitor to this world we once so loved. We have turned our love, our affections to Christ instead of this world. Our allegiance changed from Satan to Christ. This leads to point number three Christians are behind enemy lines. Point number three says Christians are behind enemy lines. Now that we have changed our allegiance, To God, we are now living behind enemy lines. Turn with me to John John 15, 18 through 20. That's John 15, 18 through 20. And this is Christ speaking. Jesus says, If the world hates you, to Christ What did the world do to Christ Well the world got angry at him The world abused him The world mistreated him The world hated him The world spoke harshly about him The world attacked him The world gossiped about him The world slandered him The world beat him The world mocked him and the world finally killed him Why do we think our lives should go differently? Why do we think our lives should go differently? Christ says his followers will be persecuted. Do we experience persecution? Is the persecution or struggle that we face based on our faith in Christ? Persecuted for Christ does not mean persecuted for being foolish. This is when people make bad decisions that cause struggle and strife in their own life. Often problems occur in our own lives because we don't adhere to plain scripture and follow it. For example, if I'm counseling a person who espouses to be a Christian and says, God wants me to get divorced from my spouse because the person I'm having an affair with makes me happier and God wants me to be happy, or... A man comes into the office and says, I'm a Christian, and I struggle with the addiction of pornography. I have this disease I can't help, and I've already talked to God about it, and he understands I have a disease. But my wife, on the other hand, does not understand what I'm going through. She gets angry and fights with me when she catches me looking at pornography. I have been mistreated by my spouse, first of all. If you call your sin a disease and blame your wife for getting angry at your despicable wickedness, this person is deceived and headed towards lots of trouble, number one. But both of these scenarios, if these people are truly Christians, God will discipline them out of love. This is a painful process, though, but this is not the persecution Christ is talking about. When we rebel against God's plain words as Christians, that's not what he's talking about when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Matthew 5, 10. So what does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness? And this leads to point number four. Point number four says, Christians are persecuted for being salt and light in the world. Christians are persecuted for being salt and light in the world. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 13 through 15. That's Matthew 5, 13 through 15. And Casey, a few weeks ago, did a great job expositing this this section of Scripture. So I'm just going to go through it really quick. But it says this, You are the salt of the earth. Both reveal who we are in Christ. We live out Christ. That is why if we go down to the next verse, verse 16, it goes on to say, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Is the light of Christ shining through us this morning? Is the light of Christ shining through us this morning? Al Mohler mentions there are three ways to respond to the world as a Christian. We can, one, withdraw, try to hide from the world. We could all become monks or become Amish and try to purify ourselves from the world, which when you really think about it, Amish people still live in the world, Right? So they don't really get out of the world. So it's really hard to withdraw. Number two, we can try to accommodate the world, accommodate the world in order to win the world. These folks are willing to compromise the word of God to remain popular in the world. So as the world becomes darker, the church follows suit about 10 years behind them. That's why so many churches are struggling with what to do with homosexuality now. Because they still want to remain popular in the world. So they're trying to figure out how they can remain popular and still be faithful to the word of God. You can't. You can't do that. You can't do that. And number three, engage the world around us. Remain faithful to God's word. Represent Christ on earth. Continue to be in the world for the sake of reaching people for Christ. Withdrawal and accommodation avoids persecution. Persecution. But I will tell you, being salt and light, engaging the world around us for Christ is what we are called to do. It's what we're called to do. But remember, it's not easy. As 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will be persecuted. It doesn't say those who have correct theology, nor does it say those who are nice to other people. It says those who live out their faith to a death and dying world will be the ones who are Christians. Are we growing in godliness? Would our families and friends describe us as godly? When we live a godly life to the world, it leads to point number five. Point number 5 says Christians are persecuted because light exposes darkness. Point number 5 says Christians are persecuted because light exposes darkness. Turn with me to John 3:19 through 21. John 3:19 through 21. Jesus says this, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. The righteous brings out or exposes the darkness of the unrighteous. This would be like putting a rag that is oil stained next to a clean, pure white rag. The white, clean rag shows how dark and stained the dirty rag truly is. A genuine or true believer in Christ who is full of light will expose or bring out the darkness of those in the world. It's just that simple. R.C. Sproul says that the righteous behavior Provokes persecution because the unrighteous in the world cannot stand to behold righteousness. But let me add to this quote by reminding us that the righteous acts that we actually do is because Christ, who is righteous, lives inside of us. It's not because we're so great, it's because of Christ, who's living in us, is the one who does these things through us. He gets the credit for what we accomplish. Sinclair Ferguson says this, Christians are persecuted for the sake of loyalty to Christ. Real loyalty to him creates friction in the hearts of those who pay him only lip service. Loyalty arouses their conscience and leaves them with two alternatives, follow Christ or silence him. Often their only way of silencing Christ is by silencing his servants. The un- this is what he's saying. The unbeliever or false convert have two choices, right? Submit to Christ or continue to live in rebellion. When they want self to continue to reign on the throne, their option is to attack the messenger that continues to show, reveal, and expose the darkness that so controls them. And let me say on a side note, when we are sharing God's love to others and Their darkness is exposed. We should be doing this because we care and love them. Not because we're trying to just blast them, right? This is supposed to be loving why we bring out the darkness. Again, Jesus says back in John 15, 18, and 19, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Brothers and sisters, we are otherworldly. We are otherworldly. We are citizens from another country. We are sojourners and pilgrims just passing through this land. We will be misunderstood. We will be mistreated. We will suffer for Christ. We will be persecuted. In America thus far... We have been blessed to openly and freely share our faith. But it seems those days are coming to an end quickly. Persecution is coming quickly, quicker than one would ever have thought. The transformation of America is happening right before our eyes. Antagonism for Christianity is growing as many not only speak against God's truths, but they have a hatred, a disdain, a rage for God and his people. The armchair quarterback Christian will go extinct as persecution gets worse in America. America. There won't be people saying, I go to church, but my faith is private, or I'm a Christian, but I don't read the Bible, or I'm a Christian, but I don't need to go to church. These people will be filtered out because of the pressure rising. As they see, they may be jobless, they may be homeless, they may go to jail, or they may even be killed for their faith in Christ. Persecution was fierce, In the first century, in the first century where Nero and then Domitian, the Roman emperors, hated Christianity. They wanted to exterminate it from the face of the earth. They wanted the Roman people and all the Christians to worship them alone. And these Christians worshiped this guy Jesus who died on the cross. They had this vehement hatred for Christianity. So what would they do? They would chop them in half. They would burn them alive. They would skin Christians alive. They would crucify them. They would crucify them upside down. The Roman archers would use Christians as target practice. They would be fed to hungry lions. And parents watching their children be torn to shreds by starving animals in the Roman Colosseum. And all they had to do To stop all that from happening is to renounce their faith in Christ and bow their knee to Caesar. And they wouldn't have had to go through any of that. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Their life was centered on glorifying God regardless of what happened. They might have been thinking what Christ says in Matthew 5. 11 and 12, Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Maybe that's what they were thinking. We have discussed that the word here for blessed means favor or of God, or simply put, happy ones. Are you happy this morning? Do you face persecution with joy? Recognizing God's using things in our lives to mold us and shape us in the likeness of Christ. As Satan's trying to destroy us, God's using that same thing to make us into who we need to be as Christians. It is not if, but when. Persecution is part of the true believer's life. We all, one way or another, will suffer for Christ. As the world rages against Christ, God sovereignly works out all things to his glory and our good. We can rest assured that whatever happens, God has our backs. God has our backs. If we live, We live for Christ. If we die, we live with Christ in eternity anyway. God has already won the victory. We can rest in his amazing grace. Are you living for Christ this morning? It's really not just about dying for Christ, but are we truly living for Christ I'm going to finish a little differently this morning. I want, um, I'm going to read what Christ has done for us. I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and I want everybody to stand as we read God's Word. So please stand. We're going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. God's holy infallible Word says this, God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we are in awe of who you are. Father, I recognize this sermon isn't the most positive and exciting and wow, I'm really excited about the future of America. But Father, we recognize that Persecution is coming, Father. I ask you to build our faith up. Let us be prepared and ready for what is happening to us and to our children and to our grandchildren, Father. Let us be faithful and strong and to invest in those who are younger so they will be prepared and ready for the battle, Father. We recognize that we're in a spiritual battle every day for hearts and souls and mind. Help us to truly live out our faith to a death and dying world. As we often, so many times, are silent and, and don't speak the truth. Whether it's because we're afraid people won't like us or because we don't want to look at as extremists, Father. Christ was an extremist. People either loved him or hated him. Help us to be sincere with our faith and walk out your word. Father, help us to be a church who truly loves one another. As you have loved us, we love and praise you. It's through Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.